love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome into the 48 Days Online Radio Show. This is Dan Miller. We're going to spend the next little bit of time here talking about questions that you, the listeners, have submitted Hey, these are real-life questions. These are not things that I just uh, thought up. These are real-life questions that you and I are confronted with in this changing work environment. Yes, things continue to be very volatile in the workplace, but along with the volatility come a lot of new opportunities. We have to realize that, um, and not all change is progress, but all progress requires change. Now think about that for a little bit. I mean, we sometimes assume that change is bad. No, it's neither good nor bad in and of itself. It's like a brick. You can use it to build a cathedral or you can use it to throw through somebody's plate glass window. Well, change is like that. Change is just what it is. It's relentless. It's inevitable. We're going to be confronted with it no matter what. We have no option to choose if we're going to deal with change. Yes, we are. So the the choice then is simply how are we going to deal with change? Is it going to be something bad in our lives or is it going to be something good? Now, here's what I see happen a lot. I talked to somebody who says, oh my gosh, you know, the boss called me in this morning, said you've got an hour to clean out your desk. You're finished. I've worked here for six years and now it's over. Well, I guess I need to, you know, run by the car dealership, turn back in the lease car, uh, take the kids out of private school, uh, forget about cancel our plans for vacation this year, uh, give up my golf club membership. And I'm thinking, why would you start with all of those things? Why would you expect that you're not going to be able to do all those things just because change occurred? But the knee-jerk reaction is always, well, change is somehow going to lessen my opportunities. It's going to limit me in some way. But we know that that's not true. I mean, how many people have you talked to who 18 months after getting canned from a job, even if it was unwelcome and unexpected, they say, oh my gosh, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. It forced me to take a fresh look at what my opportunities are, and now I'm doing something where I'm way happier. Now I'm doing something where I've doubled my income. I mean, I hear those stories all the time. So we got to recognize that with change, even though it can be intimidating, expect it to open the door to other things that'll take you higher on your road to success, not beat you down. We've got to be careful with this because we know that for the most part, we end up pretty much where we expect to end up. So you, if you expect lack, if you expect scarcity, if you expect less, guess what you're going to get? And the counterpart is true as well. Well, here's a quotation for us today. This comes from A.W. Tozer, who's an old-time you know, theologian. He says, it is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular, but why he does it. Boy, that's a powerful thought. Why are you doing the work that you're doing? If you are, you know, mowing the grass and you do that because you love what you do, you love making somebody's yard look beautiful, I mean, that can be very sacred work as well it should be. If you're on staff at a church somewhere, you hate your position can't stand the people you're working with, but you need the paycheck, that's not sacred work. That's something totally different. So it's not what we do, it's why 
we do it. Well, here's some of the questions we're going to be dealing with today. Isn't everything a gamble, Dan? Listeners heard me talk about I'm not very fond of investing in the stock market, currency trading, mutual funds, some of those things. And he says, isn't everything a gamble? Well, we'll talk about that. Somebody says, Dan, what advice do you have for recent college graduates trying to get into this job market? Several months ago, I asked about going into my own business with a criminal history. Great news. That listener's going to tell us what he's doing now. Dan, I was just eliminated from a position where I experienced bullying from a serial bullier. Dan, do I need permission from anyone, the author or publisher, to read a book aloud and sell it as an audiobook? Yes, you do, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Dan, we have a very dear group of friends through our church, but they discourage us from any of our dreams. Well, let's get right into some of those questions. Great questions. If you got a question, you can shoot it in to Dan, askdan at 48days.com, askdan at 48days.com, or you can go to the podcast link in 48days.com and just click on the podcast link there and you'll see a little form that allows you to ask your question. I value your questions. Again, these are real life situations. We want to encourage you, give you hope and inspiration or challenge you. Some of the questions we're going to deal with uh, in this broadcast are things I'm not real thrilled about. I'm going to tell you, I don't think it's a great idea. So I'll be honest with you as well. Always giving you the answers, responding, what would I do if I were in your shoes? We've got a great community going on at 48days.net. If you want to check out some other people who are on a road to success and prosperity, they're figuring out what it, what their dream is and how to put legs on that. People there give advice to each other. Uh, they offer help in sharing other people to help them more quickly get through the obstacles. It's like having a, a board of directors more than that. It's like having an absolute brain trust that you can tap into. No cost for being a member there, 48days.net. Check it out if you've got an idea and you need some help in developing it. Well, Daniel says, what advice do you have for recent college graduates trying to get into this job market? I've been out of college for four years and have found no answer for the difficult time I have in finding permanent employment of any kind. Well, Daniel, one thing that I would advise you, and this is very, very common for recent college graduates, you know, don't hold that diploma out in front of you as being your primary strength. You know, don't staple your resume to your forehead and say, you know, gee, I got a college degree. You need to give me a job. No, it it just doesn't tell a potential employer what they want to know about you. All it tells a potential employer is that you stuck around long enough and gave an institution enough money and they gave you a piece of paper. But you need to be ready to tell a company what your strongest areas of competence are, why people like having you on their team, and what you're going to help them accomplish. Those are the characteristics that get people jobs. And in today's environment, there's a whole lot of people getting great jobs out there who may not have a college degree. They may not have your credentials. But again, I mean, should that give you a little bit of an extra edge? Yeah, it probably does. I mean, it shows self-discipline. It tells a person that. But in the last year, I've had people... I had a very expensive social media consultant. We had him on a monthly retainer for six months. I have a webmaster, and we have an ongoing social media director. We've had people do book cover designs, book layout for us, 
marketing campaigns. I mean, I could go on and on, but in everybody that I've named, I never looked at a resume. And frankly, I could not tell you with any of the people that we have used in those positions, whether or not they had a college degree or what it was in. I don't know. What am I interested in? What kind of results are you going to produce for us? What have you done in the last six months? So be doing things that strengthen your presentation beyond just having a college degree. Now, if you have to take a job that you don't think is really up to par, I mean, that's okay. Do an excellent job there. Do more than they expect. I mean, that's the way that people move up in the game of life. Again, you don't jump in perhaps at a $100,000 a year job just because you have a college degree. You may start with a $40,000 a year job, and if you do excellent work, guess what? You're going to get more and more opportunities. Well, this comes from... um, Well, this comes from Lisa, who says, my passion is sharing the outdoors with others through backpacking, other outdoor activities like kayaking, hiking, and camping. The problem is that I homeschool my two children, middle school and high school, and cannot commit to working every weekend or even every other weekend. At most, I can lead two trips a season. I teach backpacking classes, and I really enjoy it. And I feel very blessed by seeing women enjoy the trips, gaining new experiences, overcoming challenges, gaining confidence, enjoying friendships and restoration. The pay is so sporadic and low, though, it just barely covers my cost, maybe $100 more, which I usually put right back in the business with gear. How can I diversify into other products or services or income streams so that I don't take time away from my family more weekends with such a hands-on, time-intensive and seasonal job? Thanks for your help, Lisa. Well, let me ask you this, Lisa. I'm just going to ask some pretty obvious questions based on how you laid this out. Why do you have to do your backpacking tours on the weekends? Now, I know you may think, well, gee, that way more people can come. Well, but if it interferes with your lifestyle, then there's going to be the potential for built-in resentment on your side right to start. You aren't going to be your brightest and sharpest and most giving because you know you got kids waiting on you at home. I mean, be careful about making those kind of compromises or thinking that you have to do that. What if you made a Monday, Tuesday excursion? I mean, well, I mean, you know, there's no reason that you can't do that. We do a lot of live events here at the sanctuary in Franklin, Tennessee. We've got one coming up um, just a couple of days, right to the bank. You know, when we do all of our live events, every single event that we do here, Thursday, Friday, Now, are a lot of the people who attend those working in regular jobs? Yes. Would it be easier, perhaps, for them to come on a Saturday, Sunday? Perhaps, yes. Why don't we do them on a Saturday, Sunday? Because I don't let the business determine what kind of life I live. I want my Saturdays and Sundays free. We're going to have a workshop here. We're going to have a lot of excited people right to the bank. Writers that want to do some of the things that I've done, we show them how to turn their writing into significant income. Thursday, Friday, it ends Friday night. Guess what I'll be doing Saturday morning? Is it because I've got another big workshop coming up? No, Joanna and I will probably be going to garage sales on Saturday morning. Actually, this Saturday morning, we're going to have the grandkids. We're going to have two granddaughters staying with us. So we've got things planned with them. We've got some friends coming over. They have a big family with a lot of kids. They're coming over Saturday afternoon. We've got a normal weekend planned. I I don't book the seminars on top of the weekend that I want. Never. I never do Saturday, Sunday seminars. Don't think that you have to do that, even if it seems like it makes logical sense. 
when are you doing your own backpacking classes? You know, you, you should be talking about the, the, you should not be talking about the pay that you're getting, the little bit of pay. Frame this as a business. You should be calculating your profits. You know, are you charging enough? Are your classes filled with a waiting list? Could you have books, equipment, personal coaching available for participants? Maybe you could get corporate sponsors for your events. Look at this as a business, not as a part-time job, but then don't allow the business to control you or take over your life. Make it something that brings you joy and complements the life you want to live. You know, there's a little book I read recently that I would recommend for you, and it's titled Anything You Want. It was written by Derek Sivers. He started the company CD Baby, and he talked in there about all the times other people were telling him, you know, all these guys with MBAs telling him, man, you need to grow your business this way. You need to leverage. You need to borrow money. You need to, you know, do a, uh, uh, a leveraged, uh, you know, have people get investors in your business. Nah, he said, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to just do this for myself and have my friends have their records on here that we can sell them. He very much kept the business the way that he wanted it. And when it grew almost in spite of him, he ultimately sold it and just went back to the life that he was wanting to live previously anyway. And you can do the same. Well, you're listening to Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online radio show. You can check us out at 48days.com or 48days.net for the community of people who are expanding their own ideas. If you want to leave a question, you can go to the podcast link on 48days.com to leave your question there. Well, Rob says, Dan, I wanted to share this with you. I had a conversation with my company doctor this week. He actually discouraged me from trying to find a better place to work when I told him I wasn't happy here. He said, the grass always looks greener, but you never know. He also said that I may go to a new company. They may get bought by a bigger company. He advised I stay where I am because I've been here seven years and that I would be throwing all that away to start at the bottom somewhere else. Plus, he said, I have job security. I think it's interesting the different mindsets we have. Well, I guess so. I mean, he sounds like a real company man, and that's fine. But you ought to be getting input in addition to just what the company doctor is saying. I mean, surely the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence, but sometimes it really is greener. You got to get over there and take advantage of that. But, you know, the Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. You ought to be getting advice from people who made the jump, people who left the company, people who are doing their own thing as well. I mean, you're going to expect people who are there in the company to defend staying in the company. If they've been there a long time, it justifies them being there for a long time. It's hard for them to encourage you to go do something that they may have dreamed of doing themselves, but have never been courageous enough to do. Um, Chris from Colorado says, Dan, several months ago, I asked about going into my own business with a criminal history. Great news. I started a property management company. I clean windows, mow lawns, paint, graffiti removal, and more. I've been doing this for many months now. And last month I made $200 less than I make on my regular job. And I'm tracked to make the same or more this month. I promised my wife that I'll keep the job through the winter just to be safe unless it begins to get in the way of the business. What's your advice on when to break away from a job and go full-time on a business? Well, Chris, congratulations on doing what you've done. Man, that's awesome. You know, we deal with a lot of people who have a criminal history and, you know, there's a lot of obstacles there. Certainly you aren't going to be able to get a, get a job in a bank or a place like that where you're going to be handling money and insurance company and so on. But 
Uh, there are a lot of opportunities that you can do. And I commend you on just taking action. When you have a property maintenance company like you describe, yeah, I mean, nobody's going to ask you, gee, I need to see your resume. I need to do a background check on you. If you can do a great job at cleaning windows, mowing lawns, painting, removing graffiti, geez, come on in. I mean, as I'm recording this this morning, we've got a whole bunch of workers around here doing some projects. I mean, I don't check on the background of people that do good work in the kind of categories that you're talking about. I want to see them do good work and give them a lot of latitude to prove to me that they're going to be faithful, competent workers. Now, as far as making the switch, when you're making as much money in your side job as you're making in your job, boy, that's a pretty easy time to just go ahead and switch full time. Because if you're making as much money in your side job as you're making in your real job, it ought to make ought, ought to be pretty clear that if you devoted all that extra time to your business, you could ramp it up even more. So that's a real good benchmark to use when you duplicate the money in your current job. I mean, that's a real high bar to set. I mean, I've worked with a lot of people where they said, well, if I could just get to 50% of what I'm making in my real job, you know, I've got a little cushion. I want to make the switch then knowing again that when I spend all my time then on the business, I can grow it even more. So you're in a great position. You're in a great position. I would see the risk has already been removed. You have nothing but upside potential. If you go ahead and make the change, you can do it anytime you and your wife are comfortable with you doing that. Well, Sid here from New Jersey says, uh, this is not a question, but a request. I recently started listening to your podcast, which I immensely enjoy having an abstract for each podcast with resource links that you mentioned underneath the abstract would be really helpful. Remembering what I heard to note it down somewhere later while driving is a challenge. In fact, until recently, I hardly visited your site, but I was using iTunes to download directly without ever touching your website. Providing the resources for each podcast would be another reason for me and the likes to visit your site more often. Well, I appreciate your comment, and that's a very realistic one. I have to be realistic about the many things that I'm committed to and how much in-depth I can go on any particular project. We do have a link on 48days.com under resources. If you go there, you'll find a whole lot of things that I talk about here. And we're adding things to that daily. So if you hear me talk about something on the podcast and you want to follow up, and I do mention a link, you can go to resources and chances are it is there. Now to do a totally standalone new set of resources for each podcast, I mean, as you can understand, would just require extra time. I'm not prepared to do that at this point. I mean, we've thought about that. And as the the listening audience grows, maybe it'll be justified. Um, but I'm not prepared to uh, devote the extra time to doing just that right now. But again, check the resources. Chances are you're going to find what I've mentioned on the podcast there. Lisa from Nashville, Tennessee says, how does a person who was bullied gain the self-esteem necessary to implement a successful job search? She says, I was just eliminated from a position where I experienced bullying from a serial bullier. I was more committed, worked harder and longer than others to meet the organizational goals. I have pretty much given up on looking for a career, but I'm just looking for a job to pay the bills. I hold a bachelor's degree and will soon have certifications in internal auditing, fraud examination and corporate compliance. Unfortunately, I'm overqualified for the positions I'm interested in. 
My self-esteem was really beat up and I cannot sell myself to potential employers. How can I get from here to there? Any guidance? Well, Lisa, I'm sorry about the situation that you're in, but you should be thankful that you were just eliminated. If you were in a position where you were being bullied every day and it's beating you down, then either you need to take the initiative to get out of there or be thankful that they eliminated you. So you're out of that situation. Now here's where you are every day that you stay in a mindset where you say you've given up and finding a career because of being bullied. You're still allowing that bully to bully you. You've got to move beyond that. You know, really what what you're dealing with here is unforgiveness. You've got to forgive the bully to release yourself to move on with your life. Now the bully probably doesn't even remember you, you know, life goes on, but you're allowing that person to continue to control you. And frankly, if one person can control you that much, you're always going to be vulnerable to the next bully. And there will be more. Now, another quick tip here, no one is overqualified. I mean, can you imagine being on the operating table? You look up and say, oh my gosh, you're Dr. Mehmet Oz. You're too smart. You're too well-known. You're too experienced. I want somebody further down the food chain to operate on me. Now, you would never do that. And there's no company I've ever encountered that rejected a candidate because they were overqualified. Now, they may be concerned about your willingness to stay long-term if they're going to have you flipping hamburgers and you graduated from like Cordon Bleu College of Culinary Arts. So there may be other issues to be discussed, but telling someone they're overqualified is simply a socially acceptable way of saying, we don't want you on our team. They would never say, gee, you don't seem to be like a team player. You don't show enough enthusiasm. Uh, you dress like you're living out of the backseat of your car. I mean, they wouldn't say those things, but they will say you're overqualified. Move beyond that. Ask yourself, why don't they want me on their team? Be honest with yourself. Get the honest input from others, and it'll help you move beyond that. Well, again, you're listening to Dan Meller in the 48 Days Online radio show. You can go to the podcast link in 48days.com to leave a question if you want to be included in an upcoming show. Brady from Salt Lake City says, Dan, I've come up with a pay it forward idea that I believe could be very useful and help others think more about what they have rather than what they don't have. I've established the website and have passed out a thousand cards locally to encourage others to do random acts of kindness. Uh, the website is where much is given.com. The card is free. And right now the idea is nonprofit based, but I think with the right kind of sponsors, it could be a business opportunity. You can order the card free off the website. We ship it and encourage the recipients to share their experiences on the website. We've heard many great stories. We need help with the site and getting people to share their stories. Please help. Yeah, I did. I, I checked out your site and you're right. You, you need help there, Brady. Uh, you, you need to be showing people, real people, not just cerebral information. I mean, make it lively, make it engaging. You've got a very warm, fuzzy kind of emotional concept you're trying to promote here so you know get audio and video testimonials but then find people who share your passion just be a let them be a part of what's happening i mean people want to be on board with something exciting we have all kinds of people that offer their expertise and help to what we're doing at 48 days find people who you know share your passion you've got a really popular concept 
Make a list of 100 potential sponsors. Uh, just have people pay for the cards initially until you build some viral momentum. You know, you want to build an audience. I read just yesterday that Slim Jim has a Facebook audience of 400,000 people. Slim Jim. Now, how excited can you get about beef jerky? How much can you talk about beef jerky? Slim Jim has an audience, Facebook audience of 400,000 people. I mean, it freaks me out when I see those kind of things. I mean, you've got something here where there's a whole lot more heart than what you're going to find with Slim Jim. So give people a reason to be excited about what you're doing so they can share the success that you are already enjoying. Okay, Summer from Wichita says, Dan, I've just recently begun listening to your show, learning a lot. Thank you. I have a small business that I started after being influenced by the books Outliers and Switch. I make crocheted accessories and jewelry and sell my Prairieology, Prairieology uh, brand in a couple local retail stores here in Wichita and online at prairieology.etsy.com. I've made up some patterns for the items that I sell, and after listening to some of your shows, I'm considering selling them online as PDF files now That would for the patterns of the jewelry that she's doing. I don't want to create a problem with competition locally, but think that the crowd that buys my finished items are different than the crowd that would buy my patterns. Do you think that it would be a good idea to sell some of my patterns or do you think I should avoid the competition I might create that way? I think you should sell the patterns. Absolutely. I think you should run small workshops to teach others to do what you're doing. I think you should look for other products to complement your own. Maybe have similar items that are made by ladies in Ecuador or Haiti or Rwanda. So you have a story to tell. What you want to do in a business like this, you want to repurpose your products and information so people can get it in multiple ways. Absolutely. If you can give them the real product, the real fin, if you can give them a kit where they put it together, if you can give them a pattern so they can make their own, those are all just ways of repurposing your content. And you'll find the people who are extremely successful don't get married to just one application. This is it. This is the only size you can get. I mean, look at how they package, you know, cereals. You can get 300 variations of the same stinking cereal just so people have the choices and they can get it exactly how they want it. I mean, I create a lot of content every week. So I do a newsletter. I blog every day, do a podcast. I do guest postings. I'm very active in the 48days.net community and responding to things there. I mean, I write articles for magazines. I do radio interviews, TV interviews. Now, do you think ever the content overlaps? Well, sure it does. I mean, I don't know that much about a lot. I just know a couple areas pretty well. So the content is going to be very repetitive, but that's okay. Those audiences are different audiences. Chances are, if you're a regular podcast listener, I doubt that you get my newsletter or that you go read my blog. You know, those are other audiences who prefer to get their information in other ways. So, you know, repurpose your content, do it again and again and again. Rob from Atlanta says, Dan, I'm considering starting a podcast where I discuss business related books. The idea I have in mind is to choose a book to discuss for one month, breaking it down to an applicable level for my audience. Hopefully I'll be able to interview book authors and entrepreneurs applying the ideas discussed in the books. What should I consider in terms of copyright restrictions? What suggestions for making this successful? Well, Rob, you really don't have a copyright issue if you're going to just talk about a book. 
Now, if you read long sections from the book verbatim, that would be a copyright issue. But if you're just going to talk about a book, and even if you interview the author, you really don't have any copyright issues there. You can go ahead and do that. But the challenge you have is how to make that different enough, how to make that interesting enough to build an audience. As an example, I can go get executive summaries. They're going to give me an overview of any book that I want. And usually what I'm looking for is maybe a a five or six minute synopsis, not a one month discussion. I don't know of any book that I've read where I would want to participate and go back to a one month discussion. Now in the Eagles group that I have group guys that meet on Wednesday morning, we do go through books and we will spend months on a book. But what's happening is we're not just going over the words in the book. You know, there's a lot of lively conversation that's stimulated by the content in the book. We just go on from there. So I'm, I'm questioning how you could attract an audience where you're going to discuss one book over a period of a, of a month. Now, the other thing you have to look for, you know, is, is what is your USP? What makes you distinct from all the other book summary sites out there? Now, I just did a quick Google site or search it just as I'm talking here, book summaries, I got 17,500,000 results when I put in book summaries. That's how many other sites there are out there that are offering book summaries. So you've got to decide what are you going to do that's going to make yours distinctive. Check out sites like Mike Senoff. He's got his site. Let me think a minute. His, his website is hardtofindseminars.com. I think that's what it is. Hard to find seminars.com. He compiles audio information from hundreds of different authors. And he has it there. He's done a great job of compiling a big, big library of content. A lot of it is free. And then a lot of it you pay for, but he's got such a vast variety that you can go one place and get a lot. I'm afraid your, your business model would be moving too slowly. I mean, you're only going to be touching on 12 books in an entire year that's not enough of momentum. That's not enough of the snowball effect. That's not enough of saying he's the go-to guy for anybody that I want to hear about when there's only 12 there. So I think you're going to have to revisit your, um, your model again, as far as discussing books, interviewing the author, no copyright issues, but I'm questioning whether you got a business model that's going to get you any momentum. Angie says, Dan, reading is my passion. And with four kids, I've got really good at reading aloud. I was reading your book and trying to come up with my perfect job and thought I may be able to use my passion to create audio books to be purchased and downloaded online. Here's my question. Do I need permission from anyone, author or publisher, to read a book aloud and sell it as an audio book? Thanks for your help. Angie, yes, you do. This is a great follow-up to the question that Rob just asked. He can discuss a book, interview the author, no copyright issues. But if you're going to read a book, you're going to just do an audio version of a book and sell it. Absolutely. That is an absolute copyright violation. You need to get permission. Now there's a caveat to that. If you find a book that's in the public domain that doesn't have a current copyright, then you can do what you're talking about. Now I've got a friend, Jim Hodges, who I talk about in one of my books. I talk about Jim in no more Mondays where he does exactly what you're talking about. He reads the works of primarily G.A. Henty, an old historian, and brings to life those old historical stories. 
he sells those primarily to homeschoolers. He does very, very well. Jim makes over six figure income selling the audios that he creates by reading old history books. But those are books that are in the public domain. Now you can do a little research to figure out what books are in the public domain. I mean, essentially most anything published before 1923 is going to be in the public domain, but any current book, I mean, the copyright laws have really changed since 1978 and any book currently that you're going to run into is going to have a copyright in place for the life of the author plus 70 years. So if you want to do 48 days to the work you love, as an example, you got a real long wait because I plan on living another 70 or 80 years. And, and then at 70 years after that, well, maybe not quite that long, but anyway, you're going to be looking at a really long time. So you would need permission from any book that has a copyright. You would need permission from the publisher and probably a royalty agreement. It would start to split the income that you would get. It would be complicated to do that. So you can either create your own stories and do audio or find things in the public domain to move forward with that. Well, here's, here's a great, great question. This comes from Denise in Missouri. She says, my husband and I are both entrepreneurs at heart. Married for 34 years, we have a contracting business, which is barely staying afloat. We know we have to break out of this. Our three children are grown and we are now in our mid fifties. I read your book and I printed out the 48 days schedule and the first day stopped me cold in my tracks where I say, talk to everyone. Don't be secretive. We have a group of very dear friends through our church, but realize there is not one we would talk to about this. And I believe this is why we've never taken off with some of our ideas over the years. They would only tell us why it would not work. Now, all of them are a bit older than us, but really, they want nothing more to life than to retire. Yuck. How do we lovingly break away? What then? Wow. Now, this is a question, Denise, that relates not only to you, but a whole lot of other people listening to this broadcast. That is, what if the people around me don't support me when I want to go to a new level of success? Now, here's the key. One of the key characteristics of highly successful people is that they spend time with people who are already performing at the level at which they want to be. Now, we know the old adage, birds of a feather flock together. I mean, people who are performing at the same level tend to stay together. Breaking out of that, you have to realize you're not likely to get the support you may expect. Now, you can take this in many environments. Let's say that you work at a company and you've been there for seven years and then you start your side business and all of a sudden things are growing and you've duplicated the income that you're making in your real job. And you tell your friends, I'm out of here. I'm going to leave. I've got a side business making more money than I'm making here. I'm going to go out on my own. What are your coworkers likely to tell you? Are they going to say, Oh, Denise, man, I am so happy for you. You know, I, I wish you all the success in the world. I hope you make a million dollars next year. Not likely. They're likely to say, you got to be kidding me. Are you nuts? You're going to leave a job where you have guaranteed medical benefits. You have a salary check every week. You're three years away from a fully vested retirement fund. You're getting 401k contributions. Are you out of your mind? That's what you're likely to hear. 
you're not going to hear people saying, man, go for it. Now, if you're in a church, this is not an unrealistic, similar situation where people are at pretty much the same level, especially if you're talking to people who are older than you, you're in your 50s, you see a bright future, you've got some dreams unfulfilled, you want to act on those, do some things you've never done before. What is likely from those people? Now, this is, this is pretty dicey because it takes somebody who is really healthy emotionally and spiritually to be happy about somebody else's success. Because what happens is it can make that person feel small because they wish it was them. You know, they had dreamed, but they never acted on them. And now it's too late. Boy, they don't want you to just go blazing by. I mean, if I run into, I I run in circles with authors a lot. When somebody says, oh my gosh, you know, my book is currently at number 19 on Amazon. And I think it's going to hit the New York Times bestseller. Is every other author in the room really ecstatic about that? No, there's a whole lot of them there say, oh, you know, shoot, you know, why'd he get so lucky? You know, that could have been me. Now it comes out of a kind of a mindset of scarcity, thinking that if you get success, there's less for me. If we're operating out of a mindset of abundance, we shouldn't have that problem. We should be happy for somebody else's success. But a lot of times when somebody expects that you're going to be successful, they feel a little smaller, a little bit defeated and a little deflated. Now, I'm not going to say just turn your back on everybody that you've been friends with, but you need to supplement those friends with people who are where you want to be. People who are already where you're going, hang out with those people as well. They're going to be the ones that are telling you, man, you can do this. Yeah, I was where you are three years ago. And now let me tell you what's happened. They're going to be the ones that are pulling you forward where the ones who are at the level where you are now are going to be trying to pull you back. Tough kind of thing. Joanna and I have had these conversations a lot just recently in recognizing that sometimes people need to get new friends. And again, even if it means finding new church friends, it doesn't mean that you've changed your theology or that you're turning your back on people or you think you're better than they are. But if you're going to be operating at a different level of success, you're going to have to be around people who are already there or on their way up as you are. You know, that's one of the reasons we encourage people to get involved in 48days.net. I mean, I, I can't be encouraging everybody personally and holding your hand in the process. I mean, I do what I can through providing a lot of content. But if you get involved in a group on 48days.net, and it's a group who are of writers or speakers, people who want to speak, you know, I got a great group on there for speakers. So if you're involved in that group, you're going to be talking to other people and say, man, I got two new gigs booked this week. You know, here's what they are. Here's how I did it. I mean, those are the people you want to be hanging around, not people saying, you a speaker? Are you nuts? You know, what do you have that anybody wants to listen to? And you may hear that from people who have known you the longest, who should in fact be your biggest cheerleaders, but sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. Well, here's where we want to get. Let me just bring up a little song here while you get into the next question. We scan a couple more here that we're going to cover. 
What would you do if you had a million dollars? And you know me, I encourage you to think big. You know, don't just be thinking you're going to do this little sideline job and you got a chance to make another $200 a month. If you're going to get out of the norm anyway, think big. Start figuring out what you do if you had a million dollars. Great old song there. Well, Jared's got a question for us. Jared says, I have a construction degree. I've been working as a property manager, a project manager, I'm sure it is, PM, project manager for the past five years for a large construction firm. I have interest in sustainable building, have my lead certification and brainstorming, thinking about becoming a residential commercial building energy auditor. I have a strong desire to work for myself. I've reached, searched several home energy auditors online, have been thinking, how do you convince homeowners, especially baby boomers, that this is a great service as there are usually large upfront costs and it may take time to see results, especially to get substantial energy savings. What can I do differently to acquire residual income? All right, now, you know, being green is popular and I've looked at all of it. You know, it's fun to think about being off the grid. You know, I'd love to have, I've got several windmills on our property, but they aren't big enough to really do anything significantly. They're just decorative, but I'd love to have a windmill that actually produced energy. And I've looked at that, but again, the expense of getting the windmill, I mean, I'm not going to live long enough to see any kind of return in terms of what it actually generates in terms of energy. It'd just be cool to do it. I mean, even Bill Gates says there's not enough energy savings on having solar panels to justify the cost. He says that's just something rich people do to feel good about themselves. Now, with your energy saving ideas, selling to baby boomers or whomever, Selling something that you know people need is tough. I talk about this a lot. Selling things that people want is much easier. I mean, it's easier selling chewing gum or Doritos than it is solar panels or windmills, even though it's a much more sophisticated kind of product. And we know that we need to be good stewards of the earth. We know that we need to be conserving energy. I'm just saying it's a tough sell. If you sell things that people want, it's a whole lot easier. So what you need to do from your vantage point, decide what you want out of having your own business. You need to create a business plan. Make sure you can see the business being profitable on paper first before you commit to it in reality. A reminder, you're listening to Dan Miller. On the 48 Days Online Radio Show, you can check out more information at 48days.com, 48days.net. A few years ago, I wrote a book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. It's done pretty well out there. Uh, still continues to do well in lots of countries around the world, much to my amazement, as well as my publishers, I'm sure. But I've been blessed with a lot of new opportunities because of that to help people figure out what are you gifted for and how can you translate that into meaningful productive and profitable work on a daily basis. That's what we're all about. If you got a question you'd like to hear me address here on the 48 days online radio show, just go to the 48 days.com site, click on the podcast link, and you can submit a question that I'll use in an upcoming show. You can also shoot an email directly to ask Dan at 48 days.com. I always envision, I know people listening to, to radio are often in their car. And so sometimes it's easier to, Jot off a quick email 
using your smartphone than it is to go to an internet site. Matt says, Dan, as Awana, A-W-A-N-A, games leader at church, I've compiled a hundred or more great games, many from my own imagination. Do you think there's an online market for an ebook of group games for kids with lots of illustrations to explain each game? My wife thinks it might be sought after by folks who turn to the internet looking for ideas to entertain kids groups. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, Matt. And if you're listening, Awana stands for, it's an acronym, A-W-A-N-A, for Approved Workmen Are Not Ashamed. Comes out of, I think it's out of Timothy, where it talks about that. But it's um, a site with lots of information, games, and other resources for church leaders. Now, here's, here's my comment about that. I think it's a very workable focus that you're talking about. I would encourage you to broaden out from marketing just to churches. And I'm, frankly, churches are very difficult to sell to. They, in church environments, people usually expect all the resources to be free. All right, now I'm not making any judgment on that. I'm just saying it. That's a fact. So you could sell. I mean, how do you do exciting group games that you're thinking about? You could sell that to corporate event planners, uh, family reunions, schools, universities, fraternities, clubs, I mean, places like that. Sure. Go ahead and put together your ebook on great games. I mean, we, have, we have some really wild and crazy family reunions. And coming from a Mennonite Amish background, as I do, I grew up with games. We didn't have TV and radio, so we had some amazing games. And we used to have taffy pulls at our house. When's the last time you were at somebody's house for a taffy pull? I mean, we used to have amazing games. We did all the old Andy Andy Over and uh, all the games you played outside at night. We did snipe hunting and all those wild things. I mean, we loved those kind of things. So we still have people come to the family reunions bringing new games in that are just Good, positive, healthy, interactive games for the kids and the older ones alike. So, yeah, I'd love to see a return of that. And I think think it's a good time to be able to do that. Let me grab one more here. John says, Dan, I'm a longtime listener since the days of your radio show when I was live here in Nashville, I guess. Often you've commented that you feel that trading stocks, currency, and other speculation is equivalent to gambling. You morally frown upon it. Isn't everything a gamble? When you bought your old Cadillac, wasn't there a chance the price could go down? Of course, but you know cars. You know that it has intrinsic value. Yeah, that's a really important point here. (laughs) Really important point, John. Investing in the stock market, John says, is no different. Money is made by finding undervalued assets and selling them later at a profit. Currently, the market is in a panic sell-off. The gloom and doom profits are predicting financial Armageddon. The S&P 500 is trading at 1130. My recommendation is that it's a good time to buy. Best regards, John. Well, I mean, you're right in what you're saying, but you've also pointed out some really significant, important points. When I buy cars, I know cars. I can see it, touch it, feel it, drive it. And I've been dealing with cars for a very long time. So I have a knowledge base that goes pretty deep. I'm very comfortable with cars. Most people I know who are in the stock market don't have that kind of knowledge, understanding, and experience. They just simply give their money to somebody else hoping that things turn out okay. Now, if you understand stocks and you've tracked them and you know the indicators up and down, you know, and you're in there doing that, then 
make that a business for you. And that's fine. That's just not the way that I see most people being involved in stocks, mutual funds, currency trading, the other kind of things you're talking about. They really are gambling. They're just hoping for something magical to happen, hoping that the timing was right, hoping that they were lucky. And to me, I don't, I would not do that. I would not do that with a penny of my money. If I were going to be involved in the stocks, then I'd have to spend a whole lot of time becoming knowledgeable enough how to do it, you know, with some kind of intelligence. I probably, well, I'm never going to do that. I mean, I can guarantee you I'm never going to do that. But with cars, real estate, I mean, books, there's a whole lot of other things. Is it all speculative? Is it all a gamble? Yeah, you could make a case for that. I mean, nothing is guaranteed. But if I buy a thousand copies of a book that's out of print, I have a pretty long track record of knowing what we can sell and knowing that I'm going to be able to sell that productively. So I certainly reduced the risk by having a lot of experience. I mean, gambling essentially is when you have no control. So I have a whole lot of control over the things where I invest money, even it is if it is in some sense speculative. Great question. I love the opportunity to answer that kind of question. A lot of these things, I mean, this is not just clear black and white, good and bad, right or wrong. This is a matter of creating a life that you want. What is it that fits you? That's ultimately what we're talking about. Your purpose doesn't have to be something that's never been done before. It doesn't have to be big. You don't have to be the next Mother Teresa, but it has to be something that fits you. Hey, thanks for being part of our audience. This growing group of people who are finding or creating work that is meaningful, productive, and profitable.